Good morning, body of Christ at New Life Christian Church. It is a sad day that we are not meeting together in person, but we are meeting together in spirit this day, and I want to give you an update that everybody is doing great. Um, those who had the um, positive test have had no symptoms. I've spoke with them all week. They are doing awesome, feeling great. Um, just as we knew God would bless this, um, prayers were answered. God's hand was moving. And I do not know for what reason this might have come about, but I trust in one thing. I trust in Romans 8:28, the word of God that says all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. And it was a purpose of God to do this, I am sure. For whatever reason, we may never know, but it was for our good. And so as we get ready for the word of God this morning and to worship him in spirit and in truth, I pray that you will bow with me in a moment of prayer as we begin to unfold the word of God. And Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. It is a day that you have made and we are going to rejoice and be glad in it. And Father, as we open up your holy and divine word, I pray that we are challenged by it. That you knew eons ago that we would be studying this passage this day. May you be glorified in everything that we say and do. And may this word exalt you today. For you are the only true and living God, and it is your holy word to us. And Father, we pray that you would make it known, your intentions for this word upon our heart. And I pray, I know that there are hearts out there this day that are hurting, that are seeking, that are needing a message of hope. And so, Father, I pray that your word would move mightily upon them, that it would be the dynamite, as Paul said in Romans 1.16, that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And that word for power is dynamite, dynamos. And Father, pray that your word will be powerful, alive and powerful this morning in the hearts and in the minds of those who will hear. And we ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since this week worship is confined to being online for everyone's well-being, I imagine that um, we are going to revisit next week. This would make the 14 days. Uh, we will be back again on Wednesday for Bible study. Thursday will be Bible journaling for the ladies at 7 o'clock. So if you want to be there for that, I encourage you to do that. Everyone is welcome to come and enjoy that. Learn how to to do a Bible journaling where you, you can draw, you can do uh, different things, you can write things around it. Um, you just have to be there to understand how fabulous it is. I know that the ladies are excited that that's getting back started, so that'll be Thursday at 7. Our Bible class on Wednesday is at 6.30. And then please be here next Sunday to worship God at 10 a.m. at New Life. You know, sometimes there are things in the Bible, 
stories that are just so bizarre, so wild, that you're like, why is that written there? And where did that come from? And many times, it is not even explained when you read it and you're thinking, well, I guess there was a purpose behind it. Well, that's what we're going to talk about one of those today. And since since we are just here together online in spirit, I, I want it to be like a fireside chat, kind of like when Jesus would take his disciples and in Matthew five, his greatest sermon that he ever gave the Sermon on the Mount. It says that he went up onto the mount. And he set himself down. And his disciples gathered around him and Jesus opened his mouth and taught them saying. And so that scene I'd like for us to imitate today as we sit around the feet of Jesus and listen to him teach us his word through his word that he has given to us. My devotional studies this week led me to one of the most bizarre scenes that can take place in scripture. You know, there are many supernatural things the likes of which you and I have never encountered in this life and probably never will. Parting of the Red Sea, I doubt if I will ever see in my life. But one of those times was something that I pray that I never see in my lifetime. And that is in the book of Numbers chapter 21. If you want to take your Bible this morning and, and grab your cup of coffee and sit down and just open up the Word of God, open it up now to Roman or to Numbers chapter 21 and uh, as we get there I'm going to start out in chapter 20 if you want to follow along there but we uh, see that this is getting ready for the 40th year in the wilderness and it begins with a great disappointment for one of the finest men of God that this world has ever seen Moses was one of the greatest men of God and First thing that's going to happen in chapter 20 of Numbers is that Miriam, his beloved sister, his sister who guarded him while he was in the basket floating in the bulrushes. You remember that when Pharaoh's edict said that we're going to kill all the babies, the male children in Egypt of the Hebrews. And his mama looked on his face and said, oh, what a boy this is. And he's going to be special. And she protected him and hid him as long as she could. And then she made him a little ark, a little basket out of, out of the reeds. And she floated him into the Nile River and told Miriam, the older sister, to watch out for Moses. Well, he wasn't Moses then because he's going to get that name when Pharaoh's daughter sees that basket floating. And she goes over and she pulls it out and she draws it out of the water. And she says, oh, look at this Hebrew baby that somebody tried to save. I'm going to make him my own. And she named his name Moshe. We know it as Moses. And it means one who was drawn from the water. And that sister Miriam happened to be by when she heard the, the uh, Pharaoh's daughter say, I have no way to nurse him. And she said, well, I can find a Hebrew woman for you that can. And she entrusted that to the girl, but said, bring him back when he's weaned. And so Moses was followed around, and he was always guarded by his sister, Miriam. And now, we're going to find that they're at Kadesh again. And she now dies. 
she dies after the 40 years of wandering. And she's buried there. And then Aaron dies. The brother. Uh, he's getting ready to die. As, as Miriam has died. Now Moses goes out. And, and the people are murmuring again against him. And God tells him to go out and speak to the rock. And Moses goes out. And these people are, are being so belligerent. So hateful. So hurtful. In everything that they're saying about him. And about his God. And he says you rebellious and stiff necked people. How long am I got to take care of you guys? Must we. Talking about him and his brother Aaron. Must we fetch water out of this rock? And that was a mistake. The one time that the emotions of Moses. Got the best of him. During this time in the wilderness. It cost him. And the Lord took him aside. And said, because you did not believe me to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, you will not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. So, the lessons that we could learn from that. And I want to give you just one real quick that caught me by surprise. Now, I have read this many times, but the, this time I got a special meaning. First, especially for those who were pastors, teachers, Christians, who really do uh, want to teach the, about the true commitment that God expects. Christians who do not want to commit themselves, commit their way of living fully unto God, but yet want to convince themselves in their own minds that they are okay. You know, they always talk about belief. And all you have to do is just believe. And God is fine with that. And he's fully on board with that. And it's just a lip service to him. Well I beg to differ. I see in this passage an illustration of what true belief is. I do not think that anyone can contend that Moses did not believe in God. That Moses had walked with God. He had spoke with God. The face of Moses shined like the sun after being in the presence of God when he came down from the mountain. Moses had prayed and received God's own voice telling him to go and speak to this rock. And God said there's never been another man like Moses that I have spoken with face to face. Yet I read here. In Numbers 20 and verse 12 that the Lord says because you do not believe in me. You shall not lead the people into this land. To, to be clear I am not speaking about the salvation of Moses that he lost that. This scripture is not speaking of that but more about the rewards and the blessings through obedience that you can obtain. And I need to take a real close look at this and learn where true belief, faith and obedience what they look like. Next. If all of this wasn't enough, that he's lost his sister, that he's just lost the right to lead the children of Israel into the land of promise that he has been longing for for this 40 years to get him there. Now, because of Aaron's part in this disobedience, his life was cut short as well. And in verse 23, the Lord began speaking to Moses and he said this about the situation of you guys spoke we're supposed to speak to the rock, but you guys struck the rock twice. And the Lord said, Aaron shall now be gathered unto his people. In other words, it's time for Aaron to pass on. 
Aaron shall not enter into the land either for his part in this rebellion against my word. And that tells me that Aaron, by just standing there, standing by and letting Moses strike the rock and not correcting him after the first time he struck it, but letting him go on and do it again. And since Aaron was the high priest and supposed to be the teacher of the people, by allowing the error to continue and not saying something to his brother, he was held at fault, the same as Moses was. Oh, that is a lesson that we need to explore more in depth sometime. But it gives us something to really chew on and meditate upon today, doesn't it? That I can sometimes be in cahoots with the ones who are doing rebellion by simply allowing it to continue. So Moses was told to bring Aaron up before the sight of all the people, and he was to strip him of his priestly garments and to give them now into Aaron's son, Eliezer. And in verse 28, Aaron died there upon the top of Mount Hor in the wilderness, and the people mourned his death, it says, for 30 days. And now... We get to our text in Numbers 21, if you're there with me. And Moses has just faced this trifecta of a very emotional, adverse events in his life. He's been cussed at by the entire people of Israel. He has lost his two most beloved relatives and best friends, Miriam and Aaron. And then he was told that because of his unbelief, he was going to be disqualified from leading God's people into the promised land after the 40 years he gave up of his own life in service unto this. So Moses accepted everything that God had put upon him. You think you've had a rough week this week? <laughs> Check out what happened with Moses. Moses had a very, very rough week. He had a very rough time. He's lost everything, all of his confidants that's been there throughout his entire life. And he's like almost on his own now in this world. And now the people are chiding him and coming after him and God and, and cursing him. And then we pick up our story in Numbers chapter 21 and verse 4 where it says that they journeyed now from Mount Hor or Aaron's burial place. And the soul of the people again became very discouraged along the way. Now stop there for just a moment. We noted a few weeks ago that for those who follow the Lord, it is called the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes into the Father except through him. The church all through the book of Acts was called the way. These are those who follow the way. They follow Jesus. Now the children of Israel are very discouraged, it says, on the way. Wow. You know, the way of Jesus, the way of God, is not always easy. It's not always pleasant. It's not always fun following the way that you're supposed to go. The world calls and beckons with all of its bells and whistles and glitter and promise of fame, fortune, fun, and everything else. But this says they became discouraged along their way. You know, they followed Jesus as Jesus appeared to them because he appeared to them as the pillar of smoke by day and fire by night. 
And wherever that pillow went, they were supposed to follow the way. But the way of Christ now was getting very disappointing to them. It was not all Cheerios and rainbows as they thought it was going to be. It's not prosperity and glitter and shiny like the suited guy on TV always tells me it will if I will follow the way. And it gets discouraging, doesn't it? Because we find out that life is real and things get tough. And that when we thought we were supposed to be blessed, sometimes we're going through rough patches in our life. Well, this message here is to let us know, don't let the way discourage you, but continue to follow in the way, in the footsteps of Jesus, all the way until the time that you and I will be transformed into immortality. They became discouraged along the way and they began to speak and murmur against God and Moses. You got to have somebody to blame, don't you? I mean, we can't take it all on ourselves, so we got to look for a patsy. And it's all God and Moses' fault. They, they're the one that stuck us here in the middle of the wilderness. We could be enjoying the fruits back in Egypt or the world in this season instead of this hot and sandy pit. And then verse 5 of Numbers 21 says that, they were murmuring things like this. There's no real food here, no water. And now I want you to listen closely to this next word. It says, and their souls said, we loathe this worthless bread. Our souls loathe this worthless bread. That's what they were murmuring. You know what that worthless bread represented? It represented the bread of life. It represented God's blessings, his sustenance, his sustaining hand in everything in your life. It, the word loathe means to abhor with a sickening dread. This manna from heaven, the bread of life that God blessed them with each and every day for 40 years. This bread is compared to angels' food in Psalm 78, 25. There, the psalmist pens by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God that man did eat angels' food, and God rained it down upon them each day. This bread had the very best of vitamins and minerals and nutrition, antioxidants, everything that God could grace them with. This bread, this manna from heaven, angels' food, they could walk every day as that pillar led them in the way. It, would, it gave them the energy and the strength to hike for 30 miles and not get tired each day. It caused them, it said, not to have by the hand and grace of God through this food. They did not get sick along the way for 40 years, 2 million people. God sustained them with the food of angels and they have the nerve to say to the face of God and to his leader, it ain't good enough. We loathe your blessing that you have given us. We want what the world has. We want Egypt's food. Your blessings are worthless and our souls loathe it. And oh, how often do I fail? How often do I not realize the blessings of God each and every day in my life? Every day that my eyes open up from sleep, 
Every day that I have food and drink and shoes and clothing. It's a blessing from the hand of God. And how often do I consider the blessings of God as something loathsome and I want something more? And then how often do I allow it to get into my head and my heart so that I murmur? Do you know how much God hates murmuring, especially over his blessings? Oh, the Lord cannot stand for us to murmur, yet so often I'm caught up in it about life and the situations that I find myself in. And you know what God did to the murmurers? Look at verse 6 there of Numbers 21. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people died. Mm. Wow, that's bizarre, isn't it? I need to remind myself to be very careful, little tongue, what you say. Be careful, O oh my soul, what you think. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little tongue, little soul, what you think. You know, murmuring against the grace blessings of God had brought God to the point of having to shake them up a little bit. So he did something that looks just so incredible out of place to us. God sent serpents upon them. Not just any serpents, fiery serpents. Imagine that all of a sudden in your home, all over your property, at work, in your car, wherever you are at, there is nothing but serpents everywhere. These fiery serpents looking to bite you. You know, they're not trying to hide. They're not staying back and trying to flee from us humans like they do in the wild. They don't coil up and warn, don't get close to me with that rattle. These fiery serpents are seeking humans to bite. And when it says fiery serpents, it doesn't mean that they were on fire. It means that they were very venomous. It's describing the venom that is within them. And it's saying that whenever you are bitten, that your body feels like it's on fire. It feels like you are burning up. And that's this venom of the fiery serpents as it rushes through your veins of your body. It's the fire of God's wrath. Now, I don't know about you, but that would get my attention real quick. And I would want to know how to get rid of of this anguish and pain of this fiery serpent's venom. And it had an amazing impact upon these folks too. The shaking of God worked. Verse 7 it says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned and we have spoken against the Lord and against you. And now pray for us, Moses, to the Lord, that he might take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. <laughs> Boy, if I could get an ounce of the humility of Moses. Do you know how hard it is to pray for stiff-necked, rebellious lot of folks that has hounded you for these 40 years? I mean, for 40 years, all these guys have done is murmur, complain. They've picked up stones to stone you. They've called you names. They've been rebellious. Now listen, the venom of their tongue has been fiery within you. It's created fiery indignation in so much that you struck the rock twice because you were so fired up over what 
their tongues and their bite was saying to you. But then in the next moment, these same people are coming to you and say, "Uh oh, I'm getting what I deserve. But you know what? I don't want what I deserve. So would you pray for me? You are the messenger Would you pray to God? God is the one who can help my situation. And we know you got a line to him. So why don't you pray for us? All these same people who for 40 years just hound him. Talk bad. Give him venom of their tongue. You know what? Oh, the humbleness that he had. You know, he's lost a brother, a sister, and his reward into the land. And now they want, and it's through their venom, but now they want him to forget, to forgive and pray on their behalf. You know what the word of God says that this great man does? He hits his knees and he prays for them. What an unbelievable example of faith and humility that is for us in our life. So the word of God says that Moses prayed for the people and a great intercessory prayer was given. And the Lord heard Moses and spoke to him saying, Moses, go and make a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. Did you hear that? Now, the only thing that could be more bizarre than fiery serpents chasing after you and biting you with their venom. You know what's more crazy than that? How about this cure that God came up with? God tells Moses, make an image like that. Make a fiery serpent. And I want you to put it on a pole. And I want you to lift that pole up in the middle of the camp and stand it there. And here's what I want you to tell the people. Everyone that will look upon that pole that is lifted up in the middle of the camp will live do you hear what the word of god says look upon the serpent on the pole and you will live some obeyed and some did not some looked up because they believed in the cure that the word of god had told them but there were many who did not believe who decided that that was crazy, and they went on in their anguish, in their pain, in their daily life. And the word of God says back there in um, that verse 6 that many of the children of Israel died because they didn't look into the pole. And the other bizarre thing about this story is That the word of God does not explain what's going on, what this represents. The next verse after the end of this story ends, it says that the children of Israel packed up camp and they moved on to Oboth and camped there. And the story ends abruptly. And we don't get told anything about why the serpents and why the cure and what it meant. The only other thing that we have in the entire Old Testament of the word of God is in 2 Kings. In 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 3 and 4, that's the only other reference to this crazy event in the, in the Old Testament. It, in describing there, 2 Kings 18, 
the reign of Hezekiah, the Bible says in verse 2, he was 25 years old when he began to reign in Judah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord all, according to all that his father David had done. And, verse 4, he removed the high places. He broke down the sacred pillars that the people had put up to worship the false gods. They cut down the wooden images. And then it says this. They broke, or Hezekiah broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until this time, from Moses to Hezekiah, and that's almost 700 years, people. For 700 years, they had held on to this brazen serpent, and they had now turned it into a god that they would worship and burn incense unto it. And Hezekiah, doing what was the right thing, broke this image up so that it could no longer be worshipped. And that's all. That's all we get about this until we get to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we finally get a commentary. If you want to open up your Bibles now and turn it over to John chapter 3, I want to describe to you the words of Jesus about what happened to the children of Israel almost 1,400 years before the time of Jesus and why it was placed there for you and I, New Testament Christians, the church, the body of Christ, to understand about that. Because the Old Testament is the New Testament. The New Testament is the commentary. The things are fulfilled. Everything pointed there to Jesus, it says. So I want you to listen, if you're there with me, to John chapter 3. What a great section of scripture this is. It says there, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. No one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus goes on, How can a man be born again when he's old? Does he enter the second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel, Nicodemus, that I say these things to you, that you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but you don't know where it comes from. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answers back to Jesus and says, How can these things be? <laughs> Jesus looks at him and says, Are you... The teacher of Israel, that is a title. This was the teacher of Israel. You don't know these things. Most assuredly, I say to you that we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen and you are not able to receive our witness. If I had told you earthly things and you don't believe, how are you going to believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Now, no one has ascended to heaven, Jesus said, but me who has also came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man, I. 
who is in heaven. And then, verse 14 of John chapter 3, we finally get an allusion back to what happened in Numbers 21 with that serpent on the pole. And there we find the word of God saying, Jesus tells Nicodemus in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through Jesus, might be saved. And then Jesus gives the meaning behind all of this in verse 18. He who believes in him, in Jesus, who was lifted up on the cross. He who believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, but the, the world loves darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You see, Jesus is telling you and I and everyone who is born into this world that you know what we've done? We've been bitten by the serpent. You and I, as Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all had the fiery venom of the bite of the serpent in us as we have sinned. And it is now going through our veins. And it is about ready to become fiery venom in the fires of the wrath of God. If we do not look upon the Savior and believe in Jesus. And Jesus says just as God. God told Moses to lift up the bronze fiery serpent on the pole in the camp to give people life. The same is true now that life comes when we look up to the cross, to the one that God chose to be that same representative on the cross for our sins, who took the wrath upon himself that should have been mine. And God put it on him that I deserve. And God is using this whole story as an illustration to us. That the fiery venom of the wrath of God against the venom of Satan and sin in the world. To all who have sinned was placed upon his son. Just as God did in the days of Moses and provided a cure Provided a way to keep from dying to the venom of the serpent, the devil. God chose that to represent Jesus Christ. And God placed our sins upon him and made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us. That we might be able to have the righteousness of God through him. Look upon the one who became the serpent on the pole. That means the, the venom, the curse. The, the curse of the serpent was placed upon the pole. And the curse fell upon Jesus. If we obey 
that blessed command and look to him and believe in the words of God for the cure of the situation we in. But if not, the word of God says, Jesus spoke and said, if he, those who believe are not condemned, but those who do not look up unto me and believe on the name of the only begotten son of God, they are condemned already. Same as in the days of Moses, those who looked upon the serpent lived, but those who refused to believe and to look and went about their life, it says, died that day. John 3, verse 36, the end of the chapter sums it all up. The last verse says this, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. Everyone out here listening today, I pray that you will meditate upon this all week. Just as the fiery serpent bit the people and they died if they did not look for the cure for the curse to the one who was lifted up upon the pole in the midst, so it is with you and I. And I pray each day that we look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who took our curse and went to the cross to be lifted up and to die for my sin. He took that venom of the serpent and sin upon himself, just as it was promised in Genesis 3. Do you remember when God came and in 3.15 of Genesis, God told the serpent, says, you're going to bite his heel. That means Jesus took the venom for us in a non-deadly wound place. But his heel then is going to crush your head. Our Savior took the venom and he died and tasted death for us that he might crush death on our behalf to those who will look upon him. And after he crushed death and he won the victory, and the three hours of darkness of being judged for our sins was over. He said, Tetelestai. It is finished. He crushed the head of the serpent. Will you not look to Jesus and live? And as I close, I want you to know, I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know who all is listening today. But I want you to know something. Whatever situation, whatever you've done, wherever you've been. God loves you and he sent Jesus to be your savior. And I pray that you will look unto him. There was a man one time named William Cooper. Born 1741 over in England. And he, uh, his, his mama died when he was six. He was so crushed, timid, shy. They sent him to boarding school and he was bullied for years by the older boys. He got so crushed that he was in deep depression and he wanted to end his life. He tried several times. One time he was tried to hang himself. That was the last time he tried. He had hung himself on the bedpost and as he lost consciousness, he thought he had died. He went completely out from the asphyxiation of the hanging. But God wasn't finished with this man. And God caused that bed to collapse. And a little later, William Cooper woke up. 
and he saw what God had done and he opened up his Bible to thank God and he turned to Romans 5 to where it says there that therefore you're justified freely by faith through Christ Jesus. And he sat down and wrote this song. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Oh, I want you to listen to the song that he wrote after he found Jesus. Father in heaven, we humbly bow today. And I know people are hurting. People are seeking. People are depressed. But Father, this story taken from your word shows that you've given us the cure. That therefore we can be justified freely by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. If we will look as you hung that serpent on the pole in numbers. And you, your son Jesus told us what that represented. That that represents me. I am the cure for the curse. Whatever it is that ails you and has you in its grips. If you will look unto me, you will live eternally. And we thank you, Father, for this great message of hope and a promise May each and every one of us look each day to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we praise you for your grace and mercy, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.